Welcome to the Western Bell podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled Living from Paradox. The talk was given by Juanita Violini on March 5th, 2022, via Zoom. Juanita speaks about the paradox of living in the two worlds of duality and non-duality. She contends that paradox holds the key that shows us that life works if we let it, and that we need to live from paradox in order to grow. Juanita discusses her experience in practical terms, as a mother with a job, as an artist, and as a writer-producer of interactive mystery entertainment. She has been a student of the spiritual path for over 35 years. If there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Juanita Violini. I've always been aware of paradox. It's just always been interesting to me. So tonight I'm going to talk about how we live in two worlds. We live in the world of duality and in the world of non-duality. We probably live in more worlds than that, but these are the main two for the purpose of the talk tonight, duality and non-duality. And paradox is the point where those two worlds touch. So, and I just wanted to define them. The world of duality is the world of time and space. It's a linear world. It's the world of opposites. It's the world that we have our body in and that we move about in our day-to-day lives. The bodies we have biologically are male or female. It's hot or cold outside. Things are fast or slow. We're happy or sad. We're in scarcity or we feel abundance. It's a linear world. So that is duality. Non-duality, as I'm talking about it tonight, is outside of time and space. It's a non-linear world, and it's a world of unity. It's an experience without opposites. In non-duality, there is only now, and it is now eternally. Paradox is when two things seem to contradict themselves, but they're both true. Being with paradox is an uncomfortable place to be, but it's always struck me that in order to grow as human beings, we need to be comfortable with paradox and embrace it and live from it. So I just want to check. This is interesting trying to talk about something nonlinear with words. Is there anyone who is not comfortable or or understand those definitions? Okay, we're good. So to me, paradox is often treated like the unwanted orphan shoved under the stairs, right? Stay in your room and nobody much talks about it. 
and it doesn't have permission to come out very often. And the only people I could find when looking for quotes on paradox is poets, philosophers, physicists, people who operate on the fringes of the mainstream world. These are the people you'll find that talk about and are interested in paradox. So paradox complicates things. It upsets our routine and it forces us to admit that the world does not work the way we've been taught that it works. It forces us to examine ourselves and it forces us to change. Paradox also simplifies things. If we can stand on paradox or live from paradox, it lets us row our boat gently down the stream. It shows us that life works if we let it. It brings clarity to our confusion and it can change us if we let it. And when we change, everything around us changes. Now, this is something in quantum physics, quantum mechanics. It's called the observer effect or the Copenhagen interpretation. And that is based on all possibilities always exist. And the mere act of observing something changes it. So I think that's really interesting. And I think it's super exciting as well. I think it's great. It's not how I was brought up to believe these things. And it's like, this is a breath of fresh air. But the other thing about paradox that I wondered about is it's really interesting, as is quantum physics, but is it useful? So we live in two worlds, the world of duality and the world of non-duality. And even though we're always in both those worlds, our attention is mostly on one or the other. And I know for me, it's usually on the world of duality. So when we view duality from paradox, it allows us not to identify with what is happening in duality. And this allows life to naturally unfold. So I like experimenting with things, things I'm thinking and the actions. And from experiments I have done so far, life unfolds a lot better if I can just leave it alone and stop trying to put my preferences over top of it. So when we think about or view duality from within duality, we can only ever get what we can think of. This is a very small point of view because we are left to our own devices. And if we view the world of duality strictly from non-duality, then we have the risk of becoming apathetic or really annoying. And that doesn't really work well either. But when we observe duality from paradox, from the point where the two worlds touch, then it opens it up for miracles and magic to happen. And we get a much bigger, more wonderful, satisfying life 
than anything we ourselves could think of. Soren Kierkegaard is a philosopher. He has a quote, the eternal truth has come to existence in time. That is paradox. So back to, this is interesting, but how is it useful? Three months ago, I had two major issues for my attention. They were giving me a lot of insecurity and fear. So I'm leaving my day job at the end of April, which is getting really soon now. And I was experiencing a lot of fear around losing a regular paycheck. So that was one thing that was going on. And then also, I've been a mom for a long time. There's 22 years between my oldest and my youngest. So I've had 40 years of an offspring at home. Now they've all moved out and they've been gone for a while. But three months ago, it was really obvious they weren't moving back in. (laughs) So empty nest syndrome is a real thing. And I had a lot of emotional fear from this circumstance. Both of this suffering in duality was because I was viewing both these circumstances from a separate point of view. I was viewing it from within duality. I don't have a paycheck. How am I going to get money? And the kids are gone. I know one thing about myself. Well, I know a few things about myself. But one thing I know about myself is that if something is going to trigger me, it is based on a sense that I don't belong or the many things that fall out from that. So having all the kids gone, it was rough. Now, I'll say a bit here because I think probably most of us have different things that we suffer in duality. And I've found a few things to help me. And one thing is chanting. When I'm feeling overwhelmed and absolutely in the grip of contraction, if I chant, it helps. And I think any kind of singing probably does help move the energy through. And then also focusing on my breath and what's going on in the body. I'm also aware I spend a whole lot of time in my head. And so I would watch how am I thinking about what I'm feeling just to loosen the grip a little bit. Tom Robbins is an American novelist. One of my favorite books of his is called Jitterbug Perfume. And he has a quote, to live fully, one must be free, but to be free, one must give up security. Therefore, to live, one must be ready to die. How's that for a paradox? That's from Tom Robbins. So while I can't say I'm ready to die at all, I do understand that security is an illusion. Actually, it's an illusion. It's part of the paradox. And at the same time, it's absolutely real. So duality is both real and an illusion. It's another paradox. I was just wondering at this point if anyone wants to identify anything that they're suffering in duality. 
you don't have to say anything, but it would be something to think about as we go through the talk, just to help make the talk more useful if there's a situation that you want to apply it to for yourself. So as I go through this cycle of suffering, seeing that I'm suffering, getting a little break from it, suffering (laughs) over and over, I see how I am causing my suffering. And I think that probably everyone here on this talk is also aware that in some way, shape, or form, we cause a lot of our own suffering. And I'm not talking about genuine sorrow or sadness or grief. Like those are all very real. They're part of life. But so much of what we suffer is something we cause for ourselves. So the point of view that that suffering comes from is seeing ourselves as separate. Separate from my children. I'm separate from my paycheck. And that point of view is both true and not true. So... One of the most interesting paradoxes I find is that we're all unique human beings. There's no one like you. You are all individuals. And there's a current motivational speaker who has a great tagline. It's the world really does need that special gift only you can give. And that is absolutely true. And that is helping motivate people to become unstuck and move forward in their lives. And that is a great thing. And at the same time, the opposite is also true. We are all connected. We are not separate. People are the same everywhere. We are no different or more special than anyone else. And that's the paradox. Do you sense the truth of that? How many people here can feel the truth that we are separate and we are connected? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Great. Okay. So here's another quote. Soren Kierkegaard lived 1813 to 1855, and he was a Danish theologian, philosopher, and poet. He was also considered to be the first existential philosopher. And a quote from him is, the thinker without a paradox is like a lover without a feeling, a paltry mediocrity. So I don't know how much life I have left, but I would really rather not live it as a paltry mediocrity. I've done that plenty. I would like to not do that anymore. So then I wonder, how can I get beyond being dragged down by financial worries, lack of self-care, fear of missing out, being offended? I don't feel like I have a lot of suffering in my life, but (laughs) when there's dirty dishes in the sink in the morning, I feel like I am suffering. It's crazy. The little things, boy, they they get me. (laughs) 
And then there's the world at large. It's like, that's super hard. I mean, maybe some of us can do something about that personally, but it seems to me like the biggest benefit we can give to the world is by being clear about ourselves and our own actions. And then if we have that clarity and that maturity that we can be generous and I don't even know what to say. I'm going into the world of non-duality. No. Anyways, we can all move ourselves forward one step at a time. That would serve everything best, I think. Moving ourselves forward. So when I was working with all the suffering of having my children gone, and I felt like I had actually lost them, then I was able to step back and see that, in fact, what I was doing was putting a lot of emphasis on being close to them physically. Even though I know better, we have always been connected, always. Anytime there was a point where I was starting to go, okay, I haven't seen the kids, getting to be too long now. I could just send out like a psychic message to guy like, okay, you guys need to get in touch with me. And without fail, within 15 minutes, they would either show up at home or call. So I know we're connected. And yet I still fell into the trap of thinking they live so far away. I haven't seen them and just creating my own suffering because of that. And once I could see that clearly and without putting in any sentimentality or anything on top of it, then it just changed. It changed inside of me so that I didn't feel like I lost them anymore. And in fact, what a waste of time. I have been spending this time feeling not close to them instead of nurturing those relationships. (laughs) And then as far as the financial issues, and I like to give these examples because I'm hoping it's making what I'm saying more useful and identifiable. At first I thought, okay, well, I'm starting my own businesses and I'm going to focus on that. And so I'm going to start imagining abundance coming from my art and my mysteries. And that lasted for about a week before it occurred to me that I was trying to shift duality from within duality. Well, it's not like that wouldn't work. I'm pretty sure it would work. It's a lot of work, though. All those changing paradigms and whatnot, I'm just as attached to duality. And then I thought, oh, I was so proud of myself for seeing this, right? I'm like, oh, I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to practice standing on paradox. For sure, we have to be responsible and do our stuff. We have to keep taking the next step. But after that, if we take the step we know we need to take 
and let it go and see what shows up. Well, this was my experiment. I'm thinking, I think that's a good idea. As soon as I'm not working anymore, I'm going to try that. And then I thought, why am I waiting? <laughs> why am I waiting until the paychecks stop coming before I practice this great experiment I thought of? So I started right away. Okay, I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to call outlets from my cards and I'm going to work on my website and I'm going to just keep moving it forward and not decide on an outcome. And what has happened is that stuff I never would have thought of has started to show up. I think everyone should experiment. I think if we let it, things will come to us. The best things will come to us. And so I got a call to see if I wanted to speak in some schools. And it was very well paid, I'll tell you. And so I think this is great. I don't want to have a Pollyanna attitude about, oh, things are always going to work out. But I think it's very important to take a step in the direction we want to go, see what comes back, and based on what comes back, then decide on the next step. Okay, so another thing, I'll just toss this in. I know a few things about myself. I know I like analyzing things and figuring out how things work and figuring out what is the most efficient way I can get this job done. And I know I like doing experiments to test these theories that I come up with. And I know that we all have qualities that will move us forward. And I don't know how well any of you know yourselves and your qualities, but I just want to say I know we all have what we need inside of us and that we're worth observing to see how we work, just to know ourselves. It's worth getting to know yourself. Yeah. So there's my little plug for get to know yourself. And do your own observations and experiments and see what is true for you. So I'm giving you guys the goods here. <laughs> this is good advice because we can only know what's true for us from inside of us, right? So don't take people's words for this will work, that'll work. Test everything out. Find out what works for you. Oh, yeah, here's another random thought I have paradoxically speaking, okay, we have our bodies and we have outside of us. I don't know how many Doctor Who fans are on this call, but actually our bodies are like, we all have our own part of in that it's bigger on the inside, right? I don't know if you guys watch Doctor Who, but we have infinity inside of us as well as outside of us. How great is that? I can't grasp it with my mind. I kind of can sense it. I think it's really cool. It seemed to me paradox holds the clue or the key to how life works. 
Now, I have a quote from Lee Lozowick, 1943 to 2010, who is an American spiritual teacher, author, and poet. Paradox is something that the rational mind finds impossible to understand. The rational mind, which is ego, can learn to recognize it, dance around it, and try to accept it. But it cannot understand paradox in any circumstance. Paradox, however, can be perfectly understood prior to mind. Well, that's great and that sounds exciting, but what is prior mind and how can I access it? It sounds super, but prior mind, prior mind, is it in the body? And then it's like, I don't know. I don't think it's in the body because the body's going to die. I don't think prior mind dies. So I don't think prior mind is the body, but maybe I thought it has an apartment in the body. I kind of envisioned my prior mind living like kind of in the tailbone neighborhood for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, the body potentially is how we can access prior mind. I keep wanting to go back again to remember we live in two worlds. We live in duality and we live in non-duality. And paradox is the point where those two worlds touch. So when we're in paradox, we are in both worlds and we are in neither world. So here's what I've come up with to how to let life live me more than me trying to live life. The first thing I have to do is stop being identified with duality. Like enjoy duality, be responsible in duality, live to the fullest, but don't be identified with it. It seems to me from my point of view that when something occurs that triggers me, and I'm speaking about duality as like all oh, the pain and all the suffering. And I think it's probably true of all the pleasure and all the good things too, but I'm not in a really big hurry to change those things, I can see. So that's why I'm talking about the pain and the suffering. Although I'm sure that not identifying needs to happen across the spectrum of the pleasure and the pain. Just enjoy it. Experience it. Don't identify with it. Don't own it. Don't become attached to it. I notice when things bother me, then I make up a story about them. Oh, the stories. <laughs> the stories I can make up about either... I'm the victim or, or I'm the villain. I'm the villain in a lot of stories. But my favorite story is Juanita saves the world. Yep. So anyways, all those stories I have of which none of them are true, I'm sure. But they come up and I think they're always probably going to come up. And so long as I can go like, oh, yeah either be entertained or amused or let it go, any of that, that's fine. I'm personally not interested in stopping the stories because I am mostly amused by them. 
I know not to identify with them or attach any meaning to them. They're just something I made up, my mind made up. So I figured out a few steps that I try and take when I get overcome by some feeling of suffering. And sometimes I realize this could be something I ate. This is bad food combining that is making me feel this outrageously hard done by. Or it is possible that the feelings that come up in my body are really not mine in a way, or there's a very chemical explanation and it's just worth noting, oh yeah, it's probably something I ate and just keep moving forward. So first of all, I have to be able to observe myself and experience what's going on inside of me and outside of me. Now, I don't know what makes a better talk. If I say I have to do this or we have to do this, I'm going to try and go we. So we have to observe ourselves and what's going on inside of us and outside of us. And we have to then pause mental activity or at least turn it down a bunch. This is where focusing on the breath and the sensations in the body are really key and really useful. And then if I can get a break from the clutches of my suffering enough to get a pause, then I can, okay, examine my thoughts. And what do I actually think is going on here? At this point of having thought I knew what was actually going on and spent many times making a fool of myself by proceeding based on what I thought was going on (laughs) and finding out that wasn't what was going on at all, I've learned not to trust what I think is going on. It's part of that story I'm making up. But I do know that one thing that is going on is that I'm stuck in duality. And if I can shift my awareness to non-duality, and just stand on the paradox between the two, like feeling the angst over my children being gone. In duality, we're physically separate and quite physically distant. In non-duality, we're always connected. We can't not be connected. And so if I can stand on that paradox and see that both those apparently conflicting things are true, then all the energy I have stuck from being attached to that suffering is freed up. And then it can flow and change into something else. Here's another quote from Frederick Dürrenmatt, a Swiss playwright and philosopher. Whoever is faced with the paradoxical exposes himself to reality. So I made a list of ways we can know that we're stuck in duality. One thing that kind of surprised me when I was thinking about it is defining ourselves. There's so many ways that we define ourselves just so unconsciously. Like, I am always right on time. I have a good sense of timing. 
I have weight issues. My family's always had weight issues. I'm really good at math. All these things are definitions. It's not that we can't know ourselves. But the thing I find for me that's the issue with defining myself or my circumstances is either then it can't change or if it does change, then suffering. I'm very leery and I try to be really watchful about saying things that people generally say about getting older. Oh, my joints are sore, just getting older. Or, oh, I can't remember that. It's because I'm getting older. To me, that is doing ourselves a huge disservice. By speaking that way, we are defining our future selves. We're defining ourselves in the next five minutes, in the next five days, in the next five years. I don't want to do that. And so I try to be very careful that if I don't remember something to say, I can't remember that right now. I don't want to project it into the future. So defining ourselves and our circumstances is one way that we keep stuck in duality. Identifying with our emotions is another way. You know, self-hatred identifies being a horrible person. We're keeping ourselves stuck. Betrayal. I don't know, but I'm going to guess it's probably true that we are all betrayed. And hanging on to that is keeping us stuck in duality. Attachment to what we want and our preferences. This comes into what I was saying before about taking the next step. So I'm going to do a proposal for a mystery, let's say. And I spend time and I work hard and I've got this really kick-butt good proposal. And I email it off. And then I need to let it go. I can't be attached to thinking that it's actually going to turn into a project. I hope it turns into a project. I want it to turn into a project. But it might not. And it can't matter. It just will keep me stuck if I'm attached to the outcome. Comparison is another thing. Comparison is perpetuating an us-against-them mindset. Somebody has to lose for somebody to win. I don't actually think that's true, but I'm experimenting. (laughs) One thing I found that is good for comparison and competition is being happy for others. It's really hard to do, especially in the beginning, especially if somebody beats you out on a competition or something. I've noticed this with some art projects. I live in a valley that has a lot of really great artists. And lots of times their work gets chosen for a project. In the beginning, it was, I should be happy for them. I'm really happy for you. But Over time, what I've experienced is really letting myself be happy for others. And it's amazing. And I think it's true of 
so much of life, we assume letting go or making changes is going to look a certain way. And I'm pretty sure it's not going to look the way we think it will look at all. When I am genuinely happy for other people, it is super freeing. And they're thrilled that you're happy for them. It's worth experimenting for being happy for others and their good fortune. And to not be attached like, yeah, I'm going to be happy for you because mine's coming next. It might not. (laughs) I think there's some interesting things. Because we're all connected, we are all psychic. We all pick up on vibes from each other that are accurate. That is absolutely true. And at the same time, we cannot read each other's minds. I don't know what you're talking about. This is a huge apparent contradiction, a huge paradox. But I really think it's true. Life is interesting. I think it's important to stand on paradox. And part of the way of doing that is speaking clearly and concisely, and of course, kindly. A lot of the world is very sloppy in speech. And there seems to be like different demographics that have their own buzzwords. So a while ago, even though I'm separate from my children, we did go out to Vancouver and visit them six months ago. So, (laughs) And I went with my oldest daughter to an outlet mall. So I live in a very small town. And there's not a lot of clothing options. So my daughter took me to an outlet mall, of which there were many, many, many clothing options. And we were in this one store of super cool designer clothes at really good prices. And so we were trying things on and this and that. And I found this one jacket and I really liked it, but I didn't know would I wear it when I got back home and yada, yada, yada. and. After about an hour, my daughter says to me, I'll meet you outside. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm going to go outside and meet her. But hey, there's this other coat on the rack. Oh, look at this. I've got to put it on. See how it looks, right? Another five or 10 minutes goes by. And my daughter's like, I'll meet you outside, mom. It's like, okay, okay. Hang the coat back up. Get partway through the store. Look at these pants. (laughs) Take them down, hold them up, right? And my daughter says, Mom, go outside. I need some space. And I'm like, great. You could have said that the first time. (laughs) Hey, Mom, I need some space. Do you mind meeting me outside? No, she thinks... I understand all the social cues and everything, and I don't. Subtlety is lost on me. If you don't come out and tell me exactly what's on your mind, I am lost. So, and I've noticed in my own speech as well, if I try and be clever or whatever, I'm going to lose the plot. So I think it's an important thing to remember, standing on paradox, Letting life live you, speak clearly. It just keeps the energy moving. That's my experience. Experiment. Okay, so 
Henry Miller, until we lose ourselves, there is no hope of finding ourselves. Oh, and here's one of my favorite quotes. Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde has the best quotes. If you're ever looking for a good quote, look up Oscar Wilde. Paradoxically, though it may seem, it is nonetheless true that life imitates art far more than art imitates life. I love that. Anyways, anybody have any questions, comments? Can you explain that a little bit or say something about that? Well, there is, I think, a popular conception that first life happens and then art documents it. What Oscar Wilde is saying is first art happens and then life copies the art. A real world example of that is kids that pick up their behavior from all of the social media or people that pick up their behavior from watching TV, the cadence of their speech, what's cool to do, what isn't to do. If you're talking about lower level art. (laughs) Hey, there's a great movie. I think it's called The Portrait of Dorian Gray. Yeah, yeah. Where the guy, whatever he painted would happen. That's an extreme example of life imitating art. So, paradox. I do have a paradox that occurred to me as you were talking. It seems like every time we learn something and we come to a conclusion about that thing, we attach to that conclusion. You were talking about what an individual may think about himself or herself. So you come to this conclusion, I am an XYZ. And then you have this conclusion that you are an XYZ and you must maintain that into your future. And so it would appear that in order to really learn, you have to unlearn the things you've learned. You know, I think there's a lot of hesitancy to do things in the world because people assume once you do something one way, that's the only way, the only thing you can ever do for the rest of your life. This is what I thought and saw based on my upbringing lot of people are hesitant to commit to something because they think they have to commit to it until they're dead. And so if we can be examples of full-on committing to something until it's obvious that it's not time to commit to that anymore, right? Then other people can go, oh, I didn't know it was an option to change my mind. I'm going to change my mind. (laughs) I have new information. One paradox for me is I love to plan and to control things. And I know that the future is completely out of my hands. But how do I go forward in my daily life without any idea how tomorrow will look like or what my travel plans are? So this example, what came to my mind was celebrating Christmas with my family in Germany. So it was always a wonderful experience when I was a child. And so my expectation and my plan was always when I went back, even when I was an adult, to come back in my parents' house, that this mood will be created again yeah, from my childhood. There was always disappointment because I was so attached to the past. 
And then something changed in me to get out of this paradox to be here in an adult body. So when I go now, I'm holding an attention that it will be a family gathering. Yeah, so for me, it's very important to have intention and aims to live here. I just want to say it's so much fun, guys. It's so cool to let ourselves go in a way. And it doesn't mean we have to do anything different. We don't have to stop planning. We don't have to change ourselves somehow. It just can flow however and surprise you and still be super satisfying. You have made it practical by just talking about experiences. Because to live with reality, it seems like we have to be in touch with paradox. We have to be in touch with something that's prior to identification. Otherwise, there's just suffering. So just learning how to work with duality that takes into account prior mind, even if we don't know exactly what that is, but we have some sense of it, allows for some freedom. So I know that's philosophical, but I'm just thinking about the examples that you used. In my own case, when I am contracted about things, I can come back to remembering that there is some non-dual experience that permeates all this. We live in two worlds. We really, really live in two worlds, duality and non-duality. For me, when I read a book, there are some great great spiritual literature out there and talks and whatnot. And everything I hear, even though the words are different, is talking pretty much about the same thing. And we're so, I know I'm often so contracted about everything that being able to have the framework of paradox to rest in has really helped actually like I'm pretty excited because it could be who knows what it could be it's a great world out there and I see so many limitations that I put on myself well hey paltry mediocrity out the door I don't know what life is going to look like and on the outside it might not look any different But I think just like the experiences that show up and how I can be available to engage and be part of a reciprocal relationship, that's pretty exciting and really energizing and really nurturing. That's great. Another paradox just came to me is that to live fully, we have to die to ourselves. But what does that mean exactly? I just think that as we engage the path and mature in it, that we have some other sense of that than we have at the beginning when we first hear about that. The thought that popped into my head was dying to ourselves. Is it? Letting go of our identifications, letting go of our attachments, letting go of how we define ourselves, 
resigned to the illusion of who we think we are. I can't say what it's like over there in non-duality. Oh, hey, Rumi has got this great quote. Let me see if I can remember Rumi's quote. Rumi says, you are not a drop of the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. Isn't that fabulous? Yeah. (laughs) There is duality and non-duality, right? And all I know about non-duality and what it would be like if we could actually visit non-duality is that it would be nothing like we could think it would be. Without people like Rumi, who seem to actually know that, this would be just philosophy. I mean, for me. But you can feel in your body, right? When you hear his quote, then paradox kind of hits home. It's like, whoa, what was that? That's cool. I don't get it, but that's cool. (laughs) There's this great principle I've heard of in quantum physics where, like in, in our world, if you have a car and you smash that car, you have a bunch of pieces of a car. But in quantum physics, if you smash a car, you get a bunch of little cars. I don't know how it would work, but it's an interesting visualization. It's the same as what Rumi's saying about the whole ocean in a drop. Yeah, you're talking about a metaphor that works for you, and those are really helpful. And what you just said has to do with the holographic universe. Every part of the holograph has all of the holograph in it, if you know what a hologram is. If a hologram image is on film and you slice the film in half, each half maintains the entire hologram, even though it may lose a little resolution. And if you blow that slice of film into a million pieces, each piece theoretically holds the entire image with probably less resolution, but it holds the entire image, which I find a fascinating concept. Yeah, life is super exciting. (laughs) There's so much we don't know, and there's wonderful things. It kind of sounds a little woo-woo in a way. It's just like, let the energy flow. Go with the flow. Gently rowing your boat, right? When you're talking about we have to die before we go in the non-duality. Yes, it's a phrase for me, but the dying sounds always so dark. So for me, why can't we say, okay, I only need to let go. And then I think we all have glimpses of living in non-duality. When I have a completely new experience, whatever it is in my body, when I look at something and suddenly like this beautiful flower only exists or when you're holding your child, your newborn in your arm, this is when time and space disappears. This is so, so exciting for me to forget my identification with myself. And this is only possible for me when my body is engaged in something. Not this part here, but everything below that part. Then I can experience non-duality. 
for glimpses? Well, I have a random unrelated thought. I always wondered if everything that's outside of us is just a projection of what's inside of me. So time to do some experiments. A thing happened at work last week. I'm leaving and I'm feeling like my department is not taking advantage of all the knowledge I have and asking me a lot about what I do because I think, why wouldn't you get all the information you possibly could from a person to make future decisions? I'm not being asked about this knowledge. And there's a group call, and I try in a very halting, unconfident way to say something about this, and it doesn't go anywhere. It just falls dead. And now I'm feeling hurt, and I don't belong, and here comes suffering. So then I had to go, okay, if it's true that everything outside of me is a projection of what's inside of me, then what is this? This circumstance that I want to say, oh, my department doesn't know what they're doing. (laughs) Is that actually accurate? Is that my story? Or if I am generating it, what's my part in creating this scenario? And it struck me that my input wasn't being valued. Because I also was not valuing my input. I was falling back into the mechanical way I am of waiting for permission to speak up, of having a hierarchy of employee, supervisor, boss, the whole thing that people aren't equal. I think it's important that we always pay attention to protocol and we always do what needs to be done to get along in the world. But I could see how I had generated that situation. I could have just spoken up with confidence and said, hey, somebody should talk to me because I have a lot of really good, useful information. But I didn't. I made some stumbling effect that got shut down and probably deservedly because of my approach. It's not exactly a paradoxical thing, but it struck me as a holographic thing in that if I am projecting my inner world into the outer world, well, you know, you got to look at that. It kind of helps drop the attachment or drop the story, drop the suffering to go, oh, I think I had a hand in that. I just really encourage people to experiment. So you said when you were with your kids, when you remembered the connection, the non-duality side sort of feeling connected, regardless of physicality. So when you remembered that, somehow is it a letting go is it a thought is it a feeling is it just a totality of somethingness that does the shift from thought of missing and separation to connection i would call it a settling if i'm contracted and feeling 
the suffering of the perceived loss, my heart really, really hurts. When I can pause from identifying with the feeling in my heart, which I call pain and which I kind of am suspiciously thinking, is this going into sentimentality? It's hooking me. I'm also thinking when I'm feeling this pain of loss, they are also feeling me feel it, but not in a good way. The energy is trapped and I'm making something wrong in a way. And then if I talk to them from that space, it's a needy victim place and it drains us all. It drains me and it drains them. Even if I never say anything, they know where I'm coming from. When I can remember to pause that and remember we are connected. Wait a minute. I know we're all connected. I know that in my head. And then there's an opening and the feeling in my heart that I have been calling pain is allowed to become a huge, overwhelming love for them. Then if I talk to them from this redefined feeling of my heart of how much I love them and will always love them, they get that too. Then if I phone them, it's a much different phone call. And even if I don't phone them, feeling how much I love them, the heart is expanding and even breaking in a way, but I'm not trapping it in a story of suffering. I'm allowing it to expand to an outpouring of love is a settling of the body. So I think the whole thing with paradox is it's like fixing <laughs> our point of view to hold both points of view. Bless you. <laughs> he unmuted so he could sneeze. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't mean to unmute. <laughs> Maybe we could all sneeze together. Would that be like non-dual in some way? Yeah, yeah we're, we're one. 